Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. And for those of you who have uh, never met me before, I realize that you may have been expecting a woman. And you maybe have been expecting an Asian. I'm not a woman, and I'm not Asian, and I'm not an Asian woman. So we have to get that out of the way. Just yesterday, uh, two days ago, I took my, uh, my car in to get an oil change, and I came in, and the person that receives you, and he says, I expect it's safe to say that you're not Kim. And I said, no, I'm Kim. Uh, but that happens to me all the time. And uh, it's, you know, my, my mother gave me the name, and I decided I might as well just accept it and not be angry with her. Um, but it's been a good name, and it's been a good conversational uh, uh, speech to, you know, just talk about. It's good. Before divide uh, going into today's message, uh, Mary mentioned that I could say a word about what I do for ministry, but first I need to say thank you because you may or may not know this, but for the last three years, you as a church have supported our ministry. It's called Vision Partners, and what we do is we minister pretty much to people that nobody else ministers to. You say, well, who's that? The small church pastor and the small church. We have a one-year program, which we call a visionary plan, where we help them to all get on the same page, to know what their mission is, what their vision is, and that they have a process of discipleship to fulfill that. And so that's a lot of fun. We coach one-on-one. We also have some cohorts. We also do some training on how to make disciples outside of the church building, because most of us don't know how to do that very well. How to make disciples who become disciple makers. So that's a quick, quick, quick review. And, you know, if, if you dare ask me after the service a little bit more about what we do, I'll talk to you. And uh, so that would be, that'd be fun. Uh, today, we're going to look at a couple of scriptures, uh, really three altogether, but I want to read uh, two of those with you. Uh, the first is from Psalm uh, 37. And we're going to look at the first eight verses, just get those in in front of you. And here's what it says from the NIV. Do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn. The justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways. When they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. And the second scripture I'd like to share with you is from Philippians chapter 4. And this will be familiar to a lot of you. And if it's not familiar, well, hope it, I hope it will become familiar because it's a, just a great, great scripture. Philippians 4, beginning with verse 4 through verse 9. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness, gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, these are amazing scriptures, and I love them, and I hate them. You heard me right. I love them, and I hate them. Now, possibly you're a whole lot more spiritual than I am, so you just love them, and if that's the case, that's great. But before you label me a heretic, hang in there for just one moment. Listen to what God is saying here. He says, do not fret. And he says, do not be anxious about anything. So I have a question for you. Does God know what's going on today? You ever think about that? Now, for the record, I believe that God does know what's going on. And I believe that today's scripture is not meant to make us guilty. Now, have you ever read these scriptures and kind of felt guilty? You know, don't be anxious, don't worry, don't fret. I think sometimes when we read a scripture like that, maybe we do feel a little bit guilty. Unless, of course, you've never worried or fretted or been anxious. Now, what God wants to do, I believe, is not make us guilty. What he wants to do is set us free and to give us peace. That's why we can love these scriptures. And we're going to focus on Philippians 4, 4 to 9. We'll make a couple of nods to Psalm 37, and we're even going to make a nod to the words of Jesus. And we're going to do this by asking five questions. These are five questions that I use in Bible study with people all the time, and I'm going to just use them with you here in this message. The first question is this. What does this tell us about God? What does this tell us about God? Well, one of the things that I think it tells me about God is that God wants me to experience peace. That's what he says in Philippians 4, 7. He says he wants to give me peace. He wants me to experience peace. Now, peace, or shalom, does not mean the absence of difficulty or hard times. You, you all probably already know that. But it does mean a sense of calm, even in the storm. It's an, it's an inner quality. You've probably said these words one time or another. I am at peace with that. You ever use those words? You know, I'm at peace with that. Well, peace is what we experience when we are in right relationship with God and with others. When things are good between us, between us and God, you know, we're at peace. 
So God wants us to experience peace. Secondly, God wants us to depend upon him. That's at least what it says to me. Verse 6 says that, Philippians 4. God wants me to, to depend upon him. Peace, not fretting, not being anxious, does not come from personal willpower. But it comes by grace. Too often, uh, at least I think this way, I, I think too often people just think of grace about forgiving my sins. You know, I, I blow it, I sin, I mess up, and God gives grace. Well, that's true. Absolutely true. But grace is more than that. Grace is about empowering us to be victorious in our daily decisions and our daily actions. And I think we need to think about that a whole lot more. Then maybe we won't have to think about, it, about being forgiven as much. If we can just grasp that God wants to give me grace to be victorious in my, in my everyday life. So he invites us. He, he invites us to bring our anxiety and our fretting to him. So he can give us peace. And so we can approach life in healthy ways. Maybe an, an even better way of saying that might be that God wants us to bring our temptation to fret, our temptation to be anxious, to just bring it to him so that he can give us peace and help us be healthier in how we look at life. Now, the third thing that says to me is that God loves us. God loves you and God loves you and God loves all of you who are watching online. He cares very, very much about our emotional as well as our spiritual well-being. That's why he says that he wants to guard our hearts. That, that word is like a sentry. So if, if you want to picture, you know, your life, you know, and you've got a door to your life and the sentry's at the door and the sentry is there and he's keeping anxiety out and peace in. That's what God wants to do with us and for us. Now those, those are the three things that stood out to me as I asked the question, what, does, what is God, what is this passage telling me about God? And maybe something else jumped out at you, and if that's the case, that's great. If the Holy Spirit speaks into your life some other truth that jumped out of this scripture, that's wonderful. But let's go on to question two. What does this tell me about me? What does this text tell me about me? about us, about people. Well, one of the things I think it tells me is that we are tempted to be anxious and to worry, to become uneasy and nervous. We're tempted to do that. When our kids are making bad decisions, we are tempted to be anxious. When our parents are making bad decisions, we are tempted to be anxious. When change is coming, and we don't know what that means, which, by the way, is all the time, we are tempted to be anxious. When we need a job, or we have a big test at school, or we want somebody to date us, or we get hit with an unexpected big expense, we are tempted to be anxious. When we watch the news or follow social media, we are tempted to be anxious. 
we could add to the list easily, couldn't we? Well, the second thing that jumped out at me is that we are tempted to compare and focus on what is fair and then fret, be troubled or unhappy. And that's what Psalm 37 is really all about. From the very first verse there in Psalm 37, what did it say? It is that don't fret when evil people around you are succeeding. I mean, here we are. We're seeking to live for God. We're seeking to do what's right. And there's people out there that could care less what God thinks, or at least it seems that way. And they're doing stuff that nobody should be doing, and they seem to be succeeding. And we're tempted to fret. Well, if you're a parent, you've probably said this to your kids too, because every kid, including you and I when we were kids, uh, we have said to our parents, that's not fair. Well, my kids said that to me quite a few times, and then they quit saying it because, guess what I would always say? Life's not fair. <laughs> We've all said that too, right? You see, this isn't heaven. And it's, it's never, ever going to be fully fair, this side of heaven. And I don't know how God deals with it in heaven. I don't think we're going to care, frankly. But, you know, the bottom line is, life isn't fair. And if we want it to be fair, and we focus on it being fair all the time, we're going to end up being fretting. We're going to be anxious. The third thing it says to me in this text is, in our middle class world, we're tempted to fret about nothing to do, nothing in the fridge, the computer screen is spinning, and it's raining during our vacation, and the beat goes on. My granddaughter frets because she doesn't have a four-wheeler. She's nine years old. Now, the problem is a whole lot of nine-year-olds in her community do have four-wheelers, so she's comparing. And she's nine. I can't blame her for it. But we, if we're part of the middle class, and that would be most of us, or even if we're not, what we tend to do, whether we have tons of money or very little, if we're not careful, we get into comparison, and that leads to fretting. Now, I want to insert something here that I think is, is important from the medical world. And I've learned it really only recently so that I can explain it. And I'll probably explain it poorly. So if you're a neuropsychologist here today or online, uh, please forgive me for not saying this all the best I should. But uh, a friend of mine has a tendency toward anxiety. So she did some testing with a neuropsychologist. And the test revealed something. The test revealed she's smart. But the test also revealed that one side of her brain is smarter than the other side of her brain. Well, so what you say? Well, here, here's what happens, according to the neuropsychologist, if I got it right, is that the first, the one side of the brain gets things fast. And the other side of the brain, you know, it takes a lot longer. Well, it's probably only really seconds, but it seems like a lot longer. And what happens is that whatever side of the brain doesn't get it as fast and then can't 
get it out, and so they're frustrated and become anxious. So the neuropsychologist is going to help her through some games and whatever to help the one side of the brain catch up to the other side of the brain and know how to do it. Now, if you understand all that, that's great. You say, well, what, why in the world did you bring all that up? Well, I bring all that up because sometimes maybe the anxiety is, is really being caused, something, something medical, something's going on in, in us, and to have the medical community look at something like that, I think it's wise. It's good. But I don't want to make excuses for us because most of us are just everyday worriers. You know, if we do worry, if we do fret, we're just probably the everyday kind. But on to question three. And question three is this. What does this teach me? What does this teach me? First, it teaches me to cooperate with God. Let's let God be God. That's what it teaches me. Because what he says is, instead of being anxious, let's bring it to God. Let's pray about it. Let's invite God into the process. Let's admit something that we don't like to admit. Okay, maybe not you, me. I am limited. God is not. I am limited. God is not. I need to embrace the fact that God is in control and I have limitations. So one of the huge limitations that we all have, it, it relates to relationships. And I need to understand and accept this very simple fact. I can't make anybody do anything. You've heard that one before, right? If not, write it down and put it on a wall somewhere where you see it. I can't make anybody do anything. And it's really true, you can't. I can't. Our understanding is also limited. That means that leads us to make mistakes. And we make mistakes so we can get frustrated. And we get frustrated, we start fretting because we can't accept the reality that we don't know everything and we're going to make mistakes. We have to accept that reality. Now, the older I get, the more mistakes I make. And my wife and I have a saying. We just look at each other and say, it's only going to get worse. <laughs> and, uh, and it's true in some ways. But you know what? This whole idea of, of, of lack of understanding, we don't have it all, we get a little bit frustrated, we make mistakes, whatever. You know what? A sense of humor really helps. A sense of humor really helps. We just got to learn to laugh at ourselves a bit and, and just you know, say to God, well, God, here I go again. Our abilities are also limited. We try and we fail. And if we're not careful, we start fretting. But what we need to do is just take it to God and fail forward. Heard that phrase before, right? You know, just fail forward. We're going to make mistakes. It's all right. So it teaches me to cooperate with God and let God be God. A uh, second thing that jumped out at me is that anxiety and fretting can be avoided or overcome. How? Now, this part of the message might be the part that you want to uh, really dig into the most. But Philippians gives us some great stuff here. 
How, how do we avoid or overcome this tendency toward fretting or anxiety? Well, verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord. And I suggest to you and to me that if I'm rejoicing in the Lord, it's kind of hard to fret if I'm rejoicing in the Lord. So if we can develop the habit of rejoicing in the Lord, that's, that's going to help me. The second thing that jumps out at me, uh, that's uh, Philippians 4.4. 4. Philippians 4.6 talks about this. How about praying? By praying, by inviting God to intervene. I know I've mentioned prayer already, but you know when we have that tendency to worry or that tendency to fret, what if we just start talking to the Lord about it? Just admit, you know what, Lord? I'm starting to go there. You know? Give me your presence. Come to me. Help me get this. Help me deal with this the way you would want me to deal with it. Also, how about by giving my situation to God palms down? Hmm? You know, you can't hold on to anything this way. And again, this, for some of you, you've heard this before. Some of you, this might be a new idea. But when I'm facing situations that, that frankly, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to be able to handle it all by myself. Or I, I don't know what to do with it. I give it to God. I really release it to him. It's one thing to pray and say, God, you've got to help me with this while you're clutching onto it. It's another thing to pray and give it to God, palms down. Well, there's a third thing that I believe can help us to overcome anxiety and, and fretting, and that's to be thankful. That's also in verse 6. Be thankful. I have two habits that I, I use to keep me thankful. I have a prayer journal, so uh, uh, I'll say daily, because almost every day I do this. I write in my prayer journal. I have a page, and... Uh, and when it fills up, I just start another page. It's my thankful page. So every day, I put the date down and I write what I'm thankful for that happened the day before. Something from the day before. It's almost always the last 24 hours. So I have that. I also have a page that's my thankful for every day. And my wife would be happy to know that she's the first item, first person on the, on the list. I'm thankful every day. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for my daughter and, and her family, my number two daughter and her family. And, and then I, I go through, I got a, a long list of things I'm just thankful for. And, you know, I just, I kind of zoom through them and reminds me, those are a couple things that, that I've just put into, into my life. And again, I, I think it's hard to be thankful and to be fretting and worrying at the same time. I don't know if it's possible, but I know it's, it's hard. Now, fourth thing that jumps out at me here from Philippians chapter 4 is, is to focus on the positives. And verse 8, you can preach a whole sermon easy on verse 8. It gives a list of positives, uh, of things that we can that we can focus on that are good and are right, it says. And so, if I focus on those positives, those positives are strongly going to influence my attitudes and my actions. 
It will. And if I focus on negatives, they're going to strongly influence my attitudes and actions too. So I want to focus on those positives. I want God to make me and keep me a glass half full person. Now some of you are, are glass half full people anyway. And some of you maybe struggle with that. But all of us need to ask God to make us a half full person. Not, not to avoid reality or put our head in the sand, but at the same time to make us a positive person. And then in verse 9, there's something that, that's here that, that comes out at me. And this one's maybe a little harder to take because, you know, it says I'm supposed to live like Jesus. Now, Paul is, is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says, you know, live like me is basically as I follow Jesus, he's saying there. So it's saying to live like Jesus. Now, what I have to remind myself is this, only, this is only possible by grace. It's only possible by grace. And it's also important to remember that God doesn't ask us to do things we can't do. He asks us to do what we can do. It's not about willpower. It's about resurrection power and the power of the Holy Spirit. So, in summary, these five things are kind of saying, let's acknowledge God as God. Let's let God be God and let's cooperate with and trust in, in God. Now, as, as I preach a message like this about don't be anxious and don't fret, <clears throat> you know, one's from the Psalms and one's from the epistles and somebody might be out there and saying, well, yeah, but what's Jesus say about this? Well, guess what? The psalmist and Paul, the apostle, they're just telling us what Jesus already told us. Listen to these words from Matthew 6, starting with verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body. What you will wear is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. Do they not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them? Sort of sounds like his eyes on the sparrow, doesn't it? And you, excuse me, are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run about after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself each day. It has enough trouble of its own. So there it is. Now Jesus, very, very clearly in his Sermon on the Mount, saying... Don't worry. Don't worry. Okay, what about question four? Question four is what do I need to obey or act on? And for me, it's rejoicing. Don't just be thankful, Kim. Rejoice. What about you? What would you need to obey or act on based on this scripture? 
And the fifth question is, who do I tell what I've learned or been reminded of? Now, for me, it's Tim and Tina and Carrie and Mary. These are four people. Every time I do one of these, these are called Discover Bible Studies. Every time I do one of these, it's Tim and Tina and Carrie and Mary that I, that I tell what I'm learning. Uh, just yesterday, I was at, uh, I walked by Tina and Carrie's house. They're out in the front porch. They're older ladies. And so I stopped and said, hey, I, I got another uh, uh, Bible story that I just did. Do you want to hear about it? And they said, yes. And so I told them the story. And then I told them the theme. And the theme was, listen to Jesus. So it took me two minutes. And they don't go to church. I doubt they're believers, but they let me tell them a story anytime that I come back. And it's, it's great. So those, those are who I tell. Well, what about you? When, when you learn from, uh, from Pastor Jeff or whoever preaches, when you go to a Bible study, uh, who do you tell about it? It's a good question to think about. So let me wrap up. The psalmist, inspired of God, says, do not fret. Jesus himself, on the, in the Sermon on the Mount, said, do not worry. The Apostle Paul, under the Holy Spirit's guidance, said, do not be anxious. God is not trying to guilt us. If we struggle with the temptation to, to fret or to worry, God isn't trying to guilt us. What he's trying to do is free us up and to give us peace. So imagine... If you're not already doing this, imagine the joy of living your life with this kind of peace. And imagine the influence on unbelievers as they observe you living a life with this kind of peace. Pretty amazing. You see, God, in his love for you, wants this for you. He wants this kind of peace for you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the God of peace, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I, I know that left to ourselves, we are tempted to fret and be anxious, and probably we will be left to ourselves. So we acknowledge that reality and invite you, Lord, by your grace and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we invite you to Give us your peace. We place ourselves fully into your hands. And we ask that you would have your perfect way in us. That you would give us peace. And that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.